I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> F9, The Fast Saga and Fast X. Fast and Furious 9, the tenth film in the saga, was one of the first movies I saw on the big screen in June 2021 after nearly a year and a half of lockdown. So what we start with here is my telling Sharon about that on the day. After that, you have my experience with 2023's Fast X, the eleventh film in the saga. Hey, they started this numbering nonsense. I used to live my life a quarter mile at a time. But things changed. Call father now. I will always be in your heart. Little Brian, I have a gift for you. Your daddy gave me this. Now I'm gonna give it to you. It's very special. It's for protection from what's coming. All right, Dom, what's next? No matter how fast you are. I am not too big compared to you. No one outruns their past. I am more easy, you trying your best to become me. And mine just caught up to me. Been a long time, Dom. So we're up against a master thief. Assassin, high-performance driver. Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. Your whole life, you pushed yourself to be faster than Dom. Smarter than Dom. Stronger than Dom. But could you kill him? Because I'm ready if you are. There's nothing more powerful than the love of family. But you turn that into anger, there's nothing more dangerous. Maybe this is the end, but we're gonna go out together. You know I'd ride to the death with you. Okay, F9, colon, The Fast Saga. That's what it's officially called. Seriously? The Fast Saga, a.k.a. R.I.P.D. Furiousness. (sighs) A little history lesson, folks. Uh, Because we're going to be coming back and doing this on a show, but I feel like we're going to have to wait till Fast 10 comes out, the 11th film, um, and then do them both back to back so that we've got enough meat. Uh, to do a, an actual show because we we did way back in 2015 like 20 yeah sounds about right like because seven was coming out after the death of Paul Walker we covered one through six um, and then seven 
And if you recall, uh, we had seen one way back in 2000, and we had seen Too Fast, Too Furious, the the film that I think is only second to uh, break into Electric Boogaloo for when it comes to like na- stupid names that you want to like pretend your sequel is called because it's just so utterly mimicable in terms of how you arrange the the lettering. It's it's also trying to be so fucking hip. Um, we'd seen those two at the cinema. We'd missed Tokyo Drift, I think, or maybe we'd seen. Drift? I'm pretty sure we saw Tokyo Drift yeah. in the cinema. You hadn't seen four. I'd seen it on an airplane and was correct. Dark. It was dark and grim and bored. Um, but we hadn't seen five and six and seven. So basically, we got the best possible way to get the Fast and Furious. After the death of Paul Walker, we saw the three best ones at their emotional peak. And then we saw Eight in the cinema, and then we saw Hobbs and Shaw in the cinema, and then Sharon did not come back to see Nine, the tenth film. I did, and other people had said, oh, it's better than Eight. And I'm like, okay, it could barely be worse than Eight. Question mark. Um, Do you have questions? Because I'm one like I've got structure, but you you could maybe upend my structure. I mean, I'm fine with just allowing you to d- be furious to my fast. Reader, is it worse than eight? Put a pin in that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So um, just give me a quick rundown on what cast members are reaccumulated for this one. It doesn't seem obvious, does it? No. Not who, at all. Who do you think is in it? I'm fairly sure Vin Diesel is in it. Vin Diesel is indeed in okay, it. Okay, I'm fairly sure that Dwayne Johnson is not. But Dwayne Johnson is not in it. This is Vin Diesel's whip. And Dwayne Johnson was permitted by the producers to have his own presentation of Fast and Furiousness. But he is no longer in Vin Diesel's treehouse. Okay. It says no wrestlers. We're allowed one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I, so, so John Cena's home of Yeah, that's an allusion to the fact that I know John Cena is in it. Okay, so um, is Michelle Rodriguez in it? Yes, okay. Letty is in there. And she is grim and serious like she hasn't been since four. Ooh. At the beginning, some cars... So since she was dead. <laughs> yeah. Um... But the Reaper means nothing in the Fast and Furious world. Clearly. And the way they tend to do things on repeat is yesterday's antagonist is tomorrow's ally. So Luke Hobbs, Deckard Shaw, Owen Shaw, and so forth. Some cars show up at the beginning while they're chatting with Little Dom. Mm. Uh, Little Dom? No, uh, Little Brian. Remember Little Brian from the end of the eighth film? Uh, The baby has grown into a toddler. Elena's. Baby. Elena's baby. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's a gorgeous little curly-haired kid, played by twins, suitably so, for, mm-hmm. for that age group. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, he's barely speaking, but uh, Vin Diesel's like, the most important thing is family. <laughs> we got to get you a sister sometime soon. Okay. And then some cars drive, drive up, and he's like, get into your little toy chest. And then they're all going for guns, and Letty's like, this is not what we do. We don't hide. We're Toretto's. And there's a lot of, like, no one could do that. A Toretto can. But that's impossible. How can they be alive? They're a Toretto. They, they spent the whole of the first movie hiding from Johnny Tran and the police. There was that. Yeah. Oh, well. These colours do not run. The colour is black. 
Dominic would not be seen dead in anything that's not a black Dodge Charger. Except in six, he dabbled in that maroon car, that gorgeous 1969 Dodge Daytona. They drive. They drive. Quarter mile at a time. (laughs) (laughs) A ten second car. Okay. Uh, you were asking, is, is Mia back? Yes, mm. Mia is back. She turns up halfway through the film and is like, I'm along for this ride too. This means something to me as well. Okay, right. We know Elena is not back because Elena is dead. Elena is definitely dead. I mean... Give it a movie or two. We'll see. It's unlikely, but I mean, at this stage, fucking anything is possible. <laughs> okay. Uh, is Tej back? Tej is back, which means... His life partner is back. Roman. Roman is back, Roman yes. Is back. Oh, and um, that also means that, uh, what's her name? Ramsay, um, the girl from um, oh, yes. from yep. Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. is back. And she's still kind of like in between them going, so boys, you're a bunch of wankers, aren't you? You two figure it out. Yeah. I will be over here there is making a, some tea. There is one amusing bit in the middle of the film where, and I've always wondered, like, what would it be like if it was like, right, we're going to do a race. Oh, I'm shit at cars. Like, I'm really, I can't drive. I am rubbish at them. I can't even drive stick. Yeah, you can. You can drive. Oh, my God, you're rubbish at driving. And that's Ramsey in this. She mm. drives a truck for a while way more competently than she should for someone who's like, I can't drive at all. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So Ramsey is back. Uh, right, okay. Uh, Han and Gazelle... Uh, Gazelle? Gazelle. <laughs> Sorry, that was her name in Zootopia. Uh, Giselle. Yeah. Are they still dead? Han is not dead. He got better. Excellent. In the trailer, the big reveal at the end of trailer seven, I think? Yeah. There have been many trailers since this film was supposed to come out in, like... 2020, and it's been 82 years since then. Mm-hmm. But one of them was like, oh my God, Han's still alive. White Nick Fury, Kurt Russell, pulled him out of the car using his special tricks. Excellent. So uh, it turns out that um, Shaw didn't kill him. Uh-huh. He, okay. he didn't go on fire. He didn't explode. Excellent. So Han has such a fast metabolism because of all of those snacks. Yes. Um, that he can't burn. <laughs> He is impervious, he is to, impervious to flame. Like they even showed the shot of like Han going, I'm definitely about to die. I am not moving. And then like Shaw dropping the Toretto cross. Mm. And it's like, remember that shot? And then as Shaw walks away, he's suddenly gone. And it's like, oh yeah, well, thank God for that um check's notes. Teleporter? <laughs> Nick Fury made okay. it happen. Okay, right. Well, that's awesome. I do really like Han as a character, so that I'm good with. Mm. Is he actually in the movie, or does he just turn up and go, I'm not dead? Oh, no, no, he's, he's in it, he and in he's it. actually kind of connected to the plot. There's a... <laughs> loosely. Loosely. There's a, there's a girl who has DNA and can activate the golden eye or something. Oh, dear. Okay. I'm trying to think who else there is. Oh, is uh, Vanessa Kirby... Oh no, 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 no. She's she's, oh, she's no. very much a Hobbs and Shaw. She's character. a Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, fair enough. Is Carly Theron back? Yes, Go Cypher. On. God damn you, Cypher. Yeah, she's there. She's got a brand new kind of um uh what be the term? Jonathan Taylor Thomas haircut? Pug wall. <laughs> You're referring to a mullet. <laughs> No, it's not that. It's more like uh, Demi Moore in Ghost, but blonde. She looks like a nine-year-old boy. <laughs> Do you know what my mind in went to In 1991. Dudley Moore. 
<laughs> That's how he wears it. Okay. Yeah, no, she's in a, a plastic prison, smirking and gloating. A plastic prison? Yeah, they put her in there like, like Magneto. They <laughs> did. She can't get to anything electronic and it has to be plastic. They give her like an old BBC computer. She's like hacking into Pentagon. Click on yes. It doesn't have a modem. Doesn't have. I don't even know how you did that. What ah. did she do? Train a squirrel to carry ah. messages. She like folded a piece of chewing gum or something and then turned it into a MacGyver modem. Okay, uh, Brian Cox doing that with a telephone okay. in Manhunter, I believe. This is the dumbest. Of all the Fasts and Furiouses. Splendid. It's dumber than two. Is it dumber than three? It's dumber than three. Three's Tokyo Drift. Yes, I know, but three is pretty dumb. <laughs> I mean, no, no, it's dumber than three. Okay. I mean, it's it's dumber than three because it takes the emotional punch out of three. True. Because Han isn't dead anymore. True. Okay. All right. <laughs> it also takes the emotional punch out of four when we see Han and he is... Like, oh, Han, you're going to die soon when you go off. And then he takes it out of five from when we go, oh, Han, oh, you're going off to Japan at some point. And then it takes it out of six when it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> Han has got nothing Nothing's left and he's going to go and live in Japan and then die. And then, like, Jason Statham walks away and goes, I just killed your best friend. No, you didn't, because Nick Fury teleported him out of that car, apparently. So that means there is literally no reason for Hobbs and Shaw to exist now. Well, everyone kept going justice for Han. Okay. And at the end of the film, Jason Statham turns up and he's oh. punching a punching bag whoa, 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 whoa. and then he zips it open and the guy's like oh would you please stop hitting me and he's like no no tell me about the microchips I'm right browned off I am and then he goes to the door and he's like ding dong and then Han like is at the door he's like oi you fucking what <laughs> and Han's like I'm back here to get no revenge for you not killing me That's the stinger. It's like, what are they going to do? Have a little chat. Because Han's got no reason to have any beef with this guy who didn't kill him. But it's like, because that, that's something that came from Twitter. Mm. Because everyone was like, I want to see Han and Shaw have a fight. That'll be a long fight. Because Han was well known for his martial arts prowess. I was actually quite pleased that there was an Asian character who's not great at martial arts mm. and he's still not like he's, he's good at snacking he's not and a, ogling Gal Gadot oh I am a black belt in that martial art he's <laughs> not a fighter but that girl I mentioned with the DNA she's like 12 years old um she's like Chun-Li like the first time she turns up she's incredibly valuable but Han sends her in to kick the asses of some guys and she's really good at martial arts so don't worry about it there is definitely I was like is that Neela who'd be like 34 now but no, it's not. It's it's this little girl. And she's fine. There's a one point where she sort of gets on a giant belt-fed machine gun and goes, Aah! and I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool, actually, because like, it, it sort of offsets that waif-like Asian girl who can do martial arts that are all kicky and flippy. It's funny that we mention fighting, actually, because um, in six, they fight uh, Joe Taslim from uh, The Raid, who was uh, Sub-Zero recently in that whole oh. combat film. Um, do you remember that they fought, they fought him in the uh, subway and he was just like, this weird, like he, he kicked the shit out of Tej and um, Roman. Uh, at this point, Letty was fighting Gina Carano, the 
turf and also the crazy right-wing nut she just like doubled and tripled down on being turfy uh like she was fighting her in the subway remember then in the seventh one michelle rodriguez fights ronda rousey who's also a right-wing nut but just like gina carano she has her background in mma fighting so the fight looked fantastic and also paul walker and various stunt doubles fought tony jar like that's the level it got to now Tedge and Roman had a, a a punch up with a bunch of quick fit fitters. I was like, these guys in in in, in boiler suits who are nobody. You can't get better than a quick fit fitter. You can't get better than a quick fit fitter. You can't get better than a quick fit fitter. We're the boys to trust. It's gone down in years. Okay. So the new chronological order is bits of nine, one, two, four, five, six, Tokyo, seven, eight, Hobbs and Shaw, and then the rest of nine. Or there are three phases, and I will actually recommend uh, to, to newcomers that they be aware of these three phases. Phase one is, what are we doing? Fast one, fast two, Tokyo Drift, fast four, which is just called Fast and Furious because they didn't realize how confusing that would be. Uh, to, to then they were just like, let's go back to the like original. It's like calling it Star Trek. It's like, this is the one. and But now it's just a number. It's just one of many, many. Um, and then there's phase two. We know what we're doing, which is Fast Five, Fast Six, and Fast Seven. And if anyone's like, oh, I saw Fast and Furious. Eric Siska said, I haven't seen any of those films. I saw Eight. It's rubbish. It's like, well, that's the worst one to start with. Mm. It's all plot related, and it's a bad film. I've Fa seen Superman 3. They're all nonsense. But five, six, and seven are actually really good. And then there's phase three, we must keep doing, which is fast eight, Hobbs, and fast nine. And all of them are marked by not being as good as when they were in their, their element. There was that window, that, that phase. That if you've ever played Gears of War, that's the clicky bit where you get the bullet bonus. Yeah. And my personal rankings are 6, 5, 7, Tokyo, 1, 4, Hobbs, 2, 8 and 9. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the good. Justin Lin is back, but I didn't know that. I'd forgotten that. I was like, oh, thank God. F, like Back when it was announced, F. Gary Gray had directed 8. Mm. And uh, if you remember, uh, he uh, directed Set It Off, and uh, he's a, a black director who uh, was given um, 8 to handle while Vin Diesel and The Rock had their meltdowns and then wouldn't talk to each other. And then he went on to do uh, Men in Black International and wanted to make it about um, immigrants. And the producer clamped down and went, no, this is going to be about nothing at all. So F. Gary Gray's had a fucking raw deal of it. But Justin Lin, who did three, four, five, and six, like when it reached its zenith, came back so I'm like well this is going to be great a year or so ago when I found that out I got to the end of this going oh fucking hell who directed this and then I read the words Justin Lin and it didn't make any sense because this is not well directed the action in this which is one thing Justin Lin's supposed to be really good at is really like blurry and close up and 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 frantically edited so there's it's very obvious when they're having to make cuts because of um, stunt doubles being used. Mm. Cuts because of safety. And it's like, oh, I'm fine with cuts because of safety. It makes it look bad. I don't mind as long as people weren't hurt. Especially as like that um, stunt woman got killed on the set of uh, Deadpool 2. 
Like, this shit happens. Cut away. Edit away. And uh, cuts when it's obviously this is now having to be done with CG. It f- I don't know how much was done practically, but it felt like a lot less than the endeavours they made in Seven to be as practical as they could possibly be. Mm, yeah. Do we know... I when- goddamn know certain <laughs> bits were not done uh, practically. Yeah. Do we know when the bulk of this was filmed? Apparently it was shot through the second half of 2019, wrapping in November, and one of Vin Diesel's stuntmen, Joe Watts, sustained a serious head injury during filming at Leavesden. It was due for release in summer of last year, in okay. 2020. So, so, it been, so we can't really... Because my, my thought was simply that. I really hope Hollywood hasn't somehow concluded that audiences like that. It reminded me of Taken, but Taken happened as a, a result of we can't... Can't make Liam Neeson Make fight. Liam Neeson fight really, really well. Yeah. But, you know, in, in the previous films, they've had some really good fights with really good fighters. This, like, it, it just seems framed poorly. Again, the fact that I was waiting to find out who directed it, because like, it, it felt like somebody who didn't know what they were doing. And it's like, Justin Lin, you absolutely do know what you're doing. I don't get how this turned out like it did. There's a flashback film in this. It starts in 1989 on a NASCAR track, and they're going round and round and round. A driver's driving along with the words Toretto on his helmet, and I'm like, I know exactly when this is, I know exactly what this is, and what they're about to be doing here. Toretto pulls in, and it's uh, Jack Toretto, the the father of Dominic and Mia. He says to, to Dominic... Uh, you know, a, a young sort of like eighteen-year-old guy. The important thing is to be the bigger man, not the better man. Which obviously didn't rub off on Dominic because he's always the winner. He's always the best at everything. And I was like, finally, is this the film where he's going to start losing because he will realise that the important thing is not to be better than everyone else. But the film then ignores that and abandons it. And I'm like, can we circle back around to these wise paternal words at this point? And it never did. Maybe examine the fact that Dominic has been losing since he was, yeah, you know, a kid. Well, since this exact moment. Then he drives off, gets into an absolute spiralling, flaming wreck. And I was like, oh, God, this is actually really dramatic. This is actually, and, and, you know, it's because Dominic's got his headphones on, he can actually hear his father's last moment. So they don't really dwell on it, but it's fucking horrifying. Because he's he's pit crew and he's running out and trying to, and it's because of this one racer who was you know you know trying to prang all the other racers, and then later in the film we flash back to this same bit and it turns out he had a brother there, this white guy who looks nothing like Dominic Toretto or his father, and is a young John Cena play, and he is Jacob Toretto, and that. The guy comes around to inspect the burned car and Jacob Toretto picks up a wrench. And I'm like, are they going to actually have it be Jacob who did the beating and Dominic took the fall for it? And yes and no. Uh, in fact, Dominic says, like, no, give me the wrench and I'll do the talking to this guy. Get out of here. And the guy's like, yeah, well, at least I'm alive. And it's like, did you really want to be hit with a wrench? As like if if you act, like, again this is this script is really stupid 
You could turn that into a scene where he says things that make Dominic want to hit him over and over again. And then you realize it's self-flagellation. It's survivor's guilt. He actually, like, he's goading Dominic into the thing that he will regret for the rest of his life. But instead, they just play it straight. And he's like, meh, racing killed your dad, wasn't me, meh. And then Dominic gets sent to jail and his brother's like, god damn it. And then they have a race later on. And like he turns, he gets out of jail and he turns up at a late 90s Los Angeles car race and sees a bunch of kids all assembled to watch people race, including Vince. And then young Jesse's there. Like it's like they've they've kind of like got young actors to play them. All of these flashbacks, they could easily have done what they did in Pirates of the Caribbean 5 and like kind of CGI faced Vin Diesel onto a young actor's body. And that would have made this definitely the worst Fast and Furious film. Because it's like, dude, you can't even allow someone else to be a Toretto. You've got to be Dominic Toretto in everything. Mm. And they didn't. They got a, uh, an actual actor in to do face acting. Which now sounds like some kind of fucking achievement in terms of drama. I was going to say, otherwise known as acting. Yeah, otherwise known as acting. He's called Vinnie Bennett. Mm -hmm. And uh, he plays young Dom with more drama and more like bunched up emotion than Vin Diesel is able to. And uh, Finn Cole plays the young Jacob. And they go through this whole like, Jacob, they race at race wars. And it's like, you know, if I win, you drive away and you never come back. And it's like, I realized as I was halfway through the film, oh shit, this should actually have been a film. Like this, these guys are actually pretty good. Mm. This is a good enough story that you could have done a pared down flashback film with this young guy in between Fast and Furious films just to kind of bring it back to Toretto and like if it's good, maybe have another one afterwards that sort of takes place between then and Fast and Furious 2000. FF0. FF0, yeah. Um, And I realized that because the rest of the film is just so bland. It's just so nothing that all of these moments of drama, and they're not pearls, they're just spikes in an otherwise flatlining film. When we get back to the sort of the main action of the film, it's, it's the bit where they're sort of driving around and like one of them gets taken away on a magnet plane and it's John Cena turns up and he's like, hey, I'm your brother. Blah, and then he drives away and it's like, ah, I haven't, you will never get this. And uh, Dominic uses a cable to swing a car around off a cliff. And he get this. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> they, they also did like an uncharted like shooting section before that. Sort of running and jumping around in a, in a ruin. And it felt like Tyrese Gibson had asked to do another action scene or two. Um, because he felt like he was being hard done by. Because if you remember... Uh, there was a lot of flexing around about the time The Rock uh, made his exit. This whole series is flexing. Yeah. But I mean, actual actors flexing yeah. in and saying, oh, you know, imagine doing a final uh, uh, Fast and Furious without Roman. They, they did. Yeah, they did several. <laughs> um, and Roman murders like 30 guys with an AK-47 and doesn't get killed. He gets shot at, but he doesn't die. And he's thus convinced that he's invincible. And at the end of the film, he says, you know what? Maybe we aren't invincible. And at that point... He and Tedge should and could have given their lives for everybody else because of the position they're in. But because they're all, they all want the contract to keep coming back and keep earning the money, it doesn't go anywhere. Dramatically speaking, they still wind up invincible. 
That's what I mean about the script and the story are very stupid because they have the pieces and the building blocks to make a story about something and they keep giving us bits of these characters but then never resolving it. The beef that Dominic has with his brother is not about being a better or bigger man. It's about apparently helping his own dad throw a race in a way that ended up unfortunately fatal. It's nothing to do with that central philosophy which never got brought back again. Let's look at the writers of the franchise so far. Gary Scott Thompson, Eric Bergquist and David Ayer did the first one. Yeah, that David Ayer. Gary Scott Thompson, Michael Brandt and Derek Haas did the second one. Chris Morgan wrote the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. Are we seeing a pattern here, folks? Chris Morgan is the good writer, but then Chris Morgan wrote the eighth one and Hobbs and Shaw with Drew Pearce. But the ninth one was written by a newcomer to the series named Daniel Casey, writer of The Passage, Secrets of Fenville, The Death of Michael Smith and Dead Man's Hour and Kin, no, I haven't heard of any of them either. So yeah, I'd say one of the reasons why this film feels very loose is a new writer who had no idea what to do with these characters and contract negotiations that meant no one can die or be evil for long. When they're bombing around the place, I was like, wow, this is actually kind of like... And the, I think the presence of John Cena there reminded me that him being in Bumblebee made me think that they were going to kind of push forward with potentially a G.I. Joe tie-in, like do a G.I. Joe series and run it concordantly with Transformers. They couldn't be bothered, but um, it made me think of Mask, another thing they were going to do to do with Transformers because it's like a toy. They were going to do a whole fucking conjoined universe with fucking Zoids and Rom Space Knight and shit. Then I realized that instead of being Soldier Boys for America, or in the case of Mask, a wealthy white guy's obscenely expensive weekend hobby of counter-terrorism, this series stems from garages in poor neighborhoods full of immigrants and the children of immigrants and the reason these films do so good worldwide is that it's not mask is that it's not gi joe is that it feels not deriving from a bunch of reagan era cartoon toy marketing tie-ins the property of the white man yeah it, it doesn't have the it, it basically they are not under the banner of america fuck yeah yeah but then I was just sort of watching this spiraling action because remember We Hate Movies complained that you know, they were what doing five, and then they were like, now it's like crazy submarines and 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 spy cars and things, and and why why can't they go back to doing tight heist movie with sort of very practical stunts? And I realized around about the same time I realized, oh, the flashback could have been a movie. They're at the stage right now where they've convinced themselves they can't go backwards. Because w- whenever a series goes, let's go smaller, mm-hmm. let's go for a better film, and let's go sort of back to our roots, like Bumblebee after the Transformers films. After all this spectacle and increasingly dumber and stupider films, they're like, let's go small, personal, and good. Yeah. Then the audiences stay home. The audiences want the spectacle. The global audiences also want this great big obnoxious thing that this series has become. That if they went small, so would the audience. Yeah. So would the box office. While I think ignoring that's, the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say while I think that has been true for a number of years now, and I don't think the the pandemic is the only contributing factor. I would say that is triply true now because if you're going to haul ass to 
a recently opened cinema where the uh, the health parameters are still a bit questionable depending on where you live. Not, by the way, in both this and In the Heights, not a fucking mask on show in on anyone in the cinema. The rule was, unless you're eating food, wear your mask. No one wore a mask. The unwritten rule is, yeah, but no. Yeah, if, if people are going to be going out of their way to see things on the big screen, they want them to be things that are in their minds, worthy of a big screen and a big sound system and anything that's... I mean, we've been saying this about uh, about films for quite a long time now. Any kind of close drama that that's more intense... Honestly, in a lot of cases, you're actually going to get a better experience at home. You will because people won't be talking through it. Yeah. I had a guy behind and to the right talking very loudly... The, like, not the whole way through. He shut up during the action scenes, mm-hmm. but then everything to do with plot, he was just yakking away. I couldn't hear individual words, but he was just mansplaining God knows what to his mate or his girlfriend. It just went on and on and on. He wouldn't fucking shut up. Mm-hmm. Dom, you ever think about how Mr. Nobody found you? Think he just dropped out of the sky and chose They've you? They've been doing a lot of jobs. I ran missions with Mr. Nobody out of this place for years. He's got a garage full of Thor room. And it gets paid by Dodge. I've been looking for that key for a long time now. The, uh, the, the Dodge Charger and every episode. You just handed her over. And, uh, and he's got a black one. I told you. Uh, he's, he's got an orange one. It's and, my uh, one. Paul Walker had something similar. Got it. With, uh, uh, I don't know guys here. Shut the fuck up! So, yeah, no, your drama's being stepped on. All we're here to do is watch, to see the spectacle, eat the popcorn because that's what you want us to do, and eat the nachos. That's what cinema has become. Mm. At least multiplex cinema. Posh little bespoke cinemas for people who really care about the films with little sofas to sit on. We have an everyman in, the, uh, in Lincoln Centre which uh, just opened up during the pandemic. Unfortunately, it would have cost us £41 to see In the Heights with no food. Me, Sharon, and Willow. I'll remind you, it cost me £30 for three months' worth of limitless films with the Odeon. It doesn't compare. And I can't pay that much for screenings at the Everyman just to not have people talk. A couple of other nice bits that I like. Beyond the fact that they can't go backwards, they will go backwards, they'll have to. They went into fucking space in this one. Well... They got a car into space. Like Elon Musk. Okay. Vin Diesel cannot go backwards in lifestyle. (laughs) That's what's going on here, isn't it? Can't go backwards in terms of food, can't go backwards in terms of sex, can't go backwards in terms of scale and spectacle of Fast and Furious. Mm -hmm. He has a house he's got to upkeep, goddammit. Or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the brief return of Lucas Black and Lil Bow Wow, whose real name is Gregory Moss. And uh, there is a brief moment. The reason that Mia says, I want in on this, is because she says, he's my brother, much as it looks otherwise, too. And there's a point where she ends up, like, holding John Cena's hand, stopping him from falling off a thing. And then she's like, go do your your big power man thing. Uh, you I was are like, seriously telling I me? Know, yeah. Jordana Brewster was holding John Cena up from falling off a thing. It's like Beavis holding up the Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I can imagine right now. But yeah, Jordana Brewster gets hold properly and he's like, yeah, you're holding me good there. 
little... Yeah, the baby's holding onto her feet as well. Tiny little woman. <laughs> um... And there is a moment, I know what you you said a th- thing you fucking hated about Eight, uh, that Letty never gets to connect in any way with Lil Brian. Mm. And she does in this. Like, there's a bit where she talks about Elena mm. to the kid, and no one else is around. And she's like, your mama's up in heaven. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Um, but, like, she's like, you're, you're, you'll always, the most important thing is family, blah, 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 blah. Is Jack in this one? Who's Jack? Mia and Brian's kid. No, okay. as far as I can tell. Maybe, because there's a barbecue at the end, and Mia's like, oh, he'll be here any minute, and then, and a blue skyline turns up, and it's like, oh, who's in there? It's Brian, but it, it, he, Paul Walker's dead, so uh, thank you for not giving us one of Paul Walker's brothers with Paul Walker's face on, but I feel like they're, again, a film away from that. I feel like... um the, the fact that Han is back means that they are a contract negotiation away from getting Giselle back, uh, having never actually seen the body. And, and, and I can imagine them saying, hey, Gal Gadot, heard the Wonder Woman thing didn't work out. Uh, do you want to do a Fast and Furious as well as or instead of? It, they seem to be doing it for the money. And the, the constant, now they got to the point where the repetition of talking about family, it, it just feels hollow now. And you can only say it so many times as an answer to so many different questions uh, until it, it just eventually just kind of feels like you're just pressing a button over and over again. Yeah. Five points. And what is the chemical equation? For- family. Yes, well, that's not exactly what I've got written on the card, but I knew your father, so footlights see by 25. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's the worst thing because it really felt like something in Mm. 5, 6 and 7. Yeah, well, it's going to feel hollow when you know that there's this ridiculous feud that caused them to lift and separate. And that's the reason why it's actually technically worse than 8. 8 had problems that it had to somehow resolve by keeping The Rock in it and Vin Diesel. The whole Dom's uh, betrayed us, all of that, it's bad. But it somehow feels like that that was bad and they had to learn from it and come back from it. The way that Birds of Prey is reactive and responsive to Suicide Squad. Everything bad about Suicide Squad was addressed in Birds of Prey. Mm. It's a completely different movie and it felt so fucking fresh. But in this... The whole film is about Dominic eventually coming around to forgiving a wrestler who in real life hasn't done anything wrong whilst using that wrestler as a replacement for another wrestler that he has been in a feud with, who both had hissy fits and went their separate ways. And that particular wrestler, The Rock, was very much missed. There was a rock-shaped hole in this because John Cena, much as I love him in things like Blockers and Bumblebee, is just a block of wood in this he is just grim and angry but has no friends Mm. and doesn't connect to it like they were so not committed to the idea of him being a villain he's just basically kind of waiting till the end so he can get his forgiveness and he can do his forgivings and then drive off on it in a toretto thing because you're a toretto and the most important thing is family yep family look at our family now it's always room for family we're family now I know you guys are a family. You want to make this family whole again? You don't turn your back on family. 
Your code is about family. Brother never told you never threaten a man's family. This is your family. This is my family. Almost killed my family. Never should have messed with a man's family. 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 Your family. Disrespecting my whole family. Well, John Cena is funny. Yeah. He when when he is given a degree of reign to be funny, that's when I like him. Yeah. He's, oh, he is great in blockers and he is funny in train wreck. Michael Rooker is in this, by the way. That's two characters who, uh, two actors who are in the Suicide Squad. Um, but yeah, he's in the beginning, basically as the Days of Thunder joint thing. Like he's the pit boss guy. Do you know? I was when you were talking about the NASCAR thing. I was like, have they somehow managed to fold Days of Thunder in with the Fast and Furious saga? One neat thing that I liked, they had the Universal logo from 1989, mm. but they played the new Universal logo music, so it felt really weird. I missed The Rock, and significantly in Fast Five, there was kind of an overarching villain and the primary antagonist, which was Luke Hobbs. And the overarching villain in this, much like Five, is rubbish and forgettable. I can't even remember his name. He's a little rich guy. But as Jacob is the primary antagonist, there is a direct performance to set him off against. And unlike The Rock's turn in Five, Cena was given nothing to really work with. He has to internalise everything and just look grim on his face. But getting him in as a replacement for Dwayne Johnson feels laboured down with oversights, especially when you put him up against Vin Diesel. They had no chemistry together. They didn't seem at all like they were related. An actual better storyline would be John Cena is the son of the guy that Dominic beat for his involvement in the accident with his father, and he is out to get Dominic. And by the end, both of them realise this was just a tragic accident. Just picking over it, picking over the times they both got so angry that it began to dominate their lives. The furiousness, if you will. The thing that just annoyed me at the end was Dom takes little Brian back to the NASCAR track, which is now in ruins. And he says, I learned everything I needed to know on this racetrack. That means everything that happened in between the racetrack, including him beating a man nearly to death with a wrench, a long time spent in jail, rediscovering street racing in Los Angeles, getting a new found family, the Fast and the Furious 1, reassembling that family in the Fast and the Furious 4, strengthening it in 5 and 6 and 7 when he allowed Brian to retire, something which apparently you have to be literally dead to be able to do in the Fast and Furious universe. And then everything he may or may not have learned in 8. None of that sunk in because he learned everything he needed to on the NASCAR racetrack, where you can't even turn right. Just a loop. And he's now inflicting that upon his bemused young son. You're a Toretto, you're special, you get to be the best at absolutely everything. Yikes. And I think the reason it's worse than eight is because eight, you know what, five, six, and seven are still great. You know, it doesn't matter if it tapers off, fuck it. But now it's like, it's subtracting drama from the good films as it circles the drain in giant expensive spirals if you had a great time at this film that's fantastic especially if it was your return to cinema if it made you feel yeah back to business then great the flip side of everything feeling 
predictable is that it also feels comfortable. I do suspect that you probably like other films in the series more than this, though. This one's going to be few people's favourite. So let's move on, jumping forward two years to Fast X. Punch it! It's a trap. That's the bomb. All right, dorks, what are we blowing up? What? The Vatican? Wow. But you guys are going to hell. The great Dom Toretto. If you never would have gotten behind that wheel, I'd never be the man I am today. And now, I am the man who's going to break your family. Piece by piece. The devil's coming. Boom! Do you like surprises? I adore them. I'd stay down if I was you. You'll need to hit me harder for that. The game's over, Dom. You lose. This is your last ride. Then you might want to buckle up. Okay. Fast X. The 11th Fast and Furious film. For the love of God! Good Lord! Just... Sort out your numbering conventions. They technically can't. Uh, Somebody pointed this out on the uh, Discord. Roger Corman owns the rights to sequels numbered sequels to films called The Fast and the Furious. Right, at this point, Roger Corman is 900 is years like old. One of those people who buys domain names yeah. and then sits on them. Oh. Because they might be worth something one day. <laughs> Did you want Disney World at disneyworld.com? That's interesting because I have it. <laughs> Good old Roger Corman. Yeah, back in like 1954, he made a movie called The Fast and the Furious. And when they were making Point Break, but with cars back in the year 2000, uh, they decided to call it the name of that completely unrelated film. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it was the early 2000s. So calling it Too Fast, Too Furious, obnoxious though that is, is very much on brand for the era. And then Tokyo Drift, they they didn't give it a number Mm -hmm. because... Uh, they didn't want to make it seem like you had to see the first two to yeah, see the third. Tokyo Drift is very much a standalone story, or at least it was at the time. Mm. <laughs> and the reason I call this the 11th is because if Tokyo Drift is a numbered one, or, or one of the main series, enough to actually at least reference five, six, even though three, Tokyo Drift, comes after six, but before the credits of six... <sighs> then why the hell doesn't Hobbs and Shaw count? Does it have to have Dominic Toretto in it? In which case, Too Fast, Too Furious doesn't count. Does it have to have Brian in it? In which case, a whole bunch don't count. Anyway, Fast X, the 11th Fast and Furious film. Now, the order, in case you were wondering, is the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and Furious, that's the fourth one. They decided not to call it Fast and Furious. They probably should have done. But that was, like, Fast and Furious was like... No, no, no. We are going back to basics on this one. It's a full cast reuniting. We are, like, this is, you know, remember the Fast and the Furious? And in 2009 we went, yeah, yeah, we do. Fast Five, Furious Six, The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, Furious Seven, Fate of the Furious, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, F9 The Fast Saga, 
And finally, for number 11, Fast X. Now, apparently, Fast X is part one of a three-part trilogy. So that would mean that the 12th film is called Fast XX, and the 13th film, second one after Why 10. Fast, Fast XI and XII? I don't know. I, 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 I didn't build the fucking thing. But at the same time, maybe they will call it Fast XI and Fast XII. But um, here's the thing. If it goes to Fast Triple X... Ah, crossover, baby. <laughs> what, is, what up, brother from another mother? What up, you? <laughs> Just... Uh. No, it would be better if it turned out that uh, Xander Cage is Dominic Toretto in disguise, that he disappeared for several years and went off and became a secret agent with a... <laughs> with a... <laughs> a fake persona... So that he could be cooler, even cooler, than he already was. <laughs> to Vin Diesel's credit, he does perform them differently. <laughs> he's like talking into his YouTube uh, camera, his GoPro, while he's driving this stolen car and going, I stole this car from the guy who wanted to ban video games because of rock music. It's music, dick. And Dom does not talk like that. So now we're going to show you what happens when you mess with the street sharks. Anyway. Oh, good lord. Right. Right, okay. Now you've brought the street sharks into it. <laughs> All Vin Diesel characters <laughs> in my head are now the same person. So, just trying to live various aspects of his personality. You know what? The last witch hunter is a Highlander. So that means he could end up being Riddick in the future. My god. No one that's, saw that's, Bloodshot. The last witch hunter is just Dominic Toretto playing D&D. Yes, that is true. It's a world within a world. Yes. Either way, I, I remember back in the day saying, I hope John Wick turns up. Uh, and like that wasn't out of the realms of possibility. And we said when we did the Con Air show, Cameron Poe, an aged Nick Cage, turns up to do a crossover with Con Air. I am surprised there hasn't been other movie crossovers yet. But at the same time, I can also see... Why they haven't, because they can barely keep track of the amount of characters they've got who contractually all have to appear in every new film. Yes, and when it also helps to make sure that your cast are speaking to each other, you probably don't want to bring in unknown quantities. <sighs> yeah, when you get egos. <clears throat> anyway, right. Now, people. Oh, they have ego. They have Kurt Russell. They do, they do. <laughs> and ego's daughter. Carol Danvers. Yes. What? Yeah, no, uh, Brie Larson is in this as Little Miss Nobody. <laughs> She's, uh, her name's actually Tess. And she is fun. How many times do they tell you that to make sure you know? <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, to me, it feels like this is a, uh, her, her agent or her PR have said, Brie, people perceive you as something of an ice queen. She's like, what? It, it, it's fine for Vanessa Kirby, right? And, uh... And then they said, yeah, exactly. Vanessa Kirby did a Fast and Furious. So how about you do one of them and just show your fun side? And so she does a little bit of eye rolling in this and she's a little quirky. And I mean, she she did that unicorn film ages ago. Like Brie Larson's, like she was uh, in Scott Pilgrim, although she was playing super serious in that role. She, well, she was, but because of the context, mm. that's a fun character. Indeed. Plus she was fun as fuck in the original 21 Jump Street 
So, like, Brie Larson has not explored the fun side of herself much. I'm hoping we see more of that in The Marvels. I suppose the fact that she entered the scene with Room, like, she'd been working for a while, but Room is so super serious. Yeah. That she became actor Brie Larson. Now, um, some people have asked, do I have to watch all nine, ten, all ten, then, previous Fast and Furious films in order to watch Fast 10, the 11th film? And I would honestly say, no. Just watch five, because five is arguably the best. So many people have said so. That's when the series really found its feet. That was the beginning of a period of high-quality Fast and Furiouses. And it actually does have a direct correlation with this. Not only is the lead villain motivated by what happened in that, uh, they, they cut back to footage from five with carefully done new footage to show you different angles on what was happening and it's skillfully done to the point where i couldn't see the join mm. and i was like am i misremembering that this definitely happened or didn't happen but they've they've done their homework on te- in terms of how to stage that if you've somehow gotten through the past 20 years going fast and furious is nah i don't see the point of seeing them but only now suddenly you're like whoa jason momoa's in it ha- hold the phone all you need to watch is five, and then go back and watch the other ones. Yeah. Okay, right. I have a question. Yep. Because we have... I say we have this discussion. I have this discussion. Um, every time this uh, area of film description turns up. Is this a franchise or a series? I think it's a series because we keep seeing the same people. Okay. Halloween is a franchise because the directors, the stars keep changing over and over again. Okay. Because, yeah, to me, and again, I know I've said this before, but it really pisses me off when people describe, say, Harry Potter as a franchise. It's not a franchise. A franchise and again, it's that unifying the, the team who exactly, make, the, yeah. make it at the same time. You might maybe change Especially since out. they ch- switched to David Yates and then never and want then anyone else yeah, but David exactly. Yates. But like, yes, all right, there are elements of we switch out directors and things like that. But a franchise picture to me is one where you effectively buy the name hmm. and the concept, hmm. but then do whatever the hell you want with it. I'm not even sure that that's necessary to franchise. I feel like within franchise, there is a guidebook and a rule book. Mm. For example, Halloween, they were not allowed to permanently kill Michael Myers in Halloween H20, the only good one from that period. Mm. And uh, it frustrated the hell out of Jamie Lee Curtis, but she agreed to it in a way that they shot the ending for that film so that you can just judge it as its own thing. And I'll come back and do the stupid, shitty sequel. And people can, if they wish, lift that right out of continuity and say, uh, it's just one, two, and seven. And I did. Yeah. So that would be in the category of, you can't, say, buy a Subway Mm. franchise and then start serving Yorkshire puddings. Yeah. Yorkshire pudding Subway. Who wants extra cheese? Um, Yeah. One thing I I found out uh, while studying various YouTube channels that go into businesses, because I don't know anything about business, but some of them make it quite fun, is that McDonald's does not make their money from selling hamburgers. They sell the McDonald's franchise. People buy the McDonald's name, they set up a restaurant, and then they have to abide by the McDonald's rule book. And effectively, what they're actually doing is paying McDonald's for real estate, like the actual, the, the, the restaurant itself, they're renting. They're paying McDonald's the money. 
And so that's where Big M gets most of their cash. It's uh, the people that do all the buying and the selling are subcontracting. Now, that's not necessarily true of Fast and Furious. I don't think it would be fair to say that there's just one overarching rule book and just uh, any old director comes along. It's very much produced by Vin Diesel now, as in he will allow this and that to happen. It, it, it's He is the wellspring. For, and, and Neil H. Moritz as well. Like he, he realized he was onto a very good thing when Fast 4 and then Fast 5 came out and, and it became something that people really identified with on a, on, a, on a mass scale. Now, I would also say that there are, I think I've told, mentioned this before, but let's refine it. There are ages of Fast and Furious. And I'd say the first three were we don't quite know what we're doing with this franchise. Yeah, that was definitely a movie that popped when we weren't expecting Mm. to. Let's do a sequel. What the hell, let's do another one. That's where it felt the most like a franchise because I think all three had different directors. Mm. Rob Cohen, John Singleton, Justin Lin. Different composers. Brian Wayne Transu, also known as BT. He did the original The Fast and the Furious, which sounded like this. David Arnold did Too Fast, Too Furious. That I did not know. That's the big British brass guy who did the latter-day Bond films. And then Brian Tyler, he of the Mario movie, who became series mainstay, started with Tokyo Drift. then went on to do 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, and 10, only missing 6 for some reason, which was Lucas Vidal. Love Six. They were genuinely trying to make it a superhero movie and they succeeded. Maybe too well, because this is definitely where physics took a back seat. And the star of the first one was Brian, but uh, Dom Toretto stole the show. The star of the second one was definitely Brian. And then the third one was Caleb. So at that point, it was, this is not going to be a star vehicle. It's going to be a car vehicle. One one about the cars and the stunts. And do you like butts? Because we got butts. Girls butts. (laughs) And fun music. And that followed more of the pattern of the old movie sequel, threequel, and then everything falls apart. 
See, at this point, now you do a reboot, which they did with Fast and Furious, or you do a prequel, which they did with Fast 9 in parts, or you do a legacy sequel, which they refused to do because that would require them to go away for a bit and then come back. Yes. Right. Let's talk about Jason Momoa as Dante, the villain of this. He certainly is the villain of the piece. In the flashbacks, you see that uh, Hernan Reyes, the uh, villain in that fifth film. You know, remember the, the, the He's the one I stole the big hard safe from. Drive from. Oh, maybe a hard drive. They steal a big safe and they drag it around Rio de Janeiro with them, yeah. but uh, locked to some cars. Uh, they, if you remember, they they robbed his various uh, money laundering places and then burned the money. So he gathered all of his money together in one place, the, the safe, so that they couldn't get to it. And then they stole the safe. That's it. Yeah, it's good. It's a neat uh, like that's there's a peppy, jumpy kind of uh, momentum to Fast Five. It's a big jump up from the somewhat morose Fast Four. I would say Fast Four sits on the borderline between we don't know what we're doing and now we do know what we're doing. It, it kind of, it has a foot in each camp. Uh, but I would, I would say because they didn't really get it to just the right feel that everybody loves, it's still in the first camp of we don't quite know what we're doing. Then there's five, six, and seven, which are the three best ones. Everyone always seems to undervalue six because five is so good. Six is still my favourite, only by a little way. Seven got all the attention because of what they had to do with... Paul. And uh, honestly, seven was was fairly miraculous to what they managed to pull off. And, and even to the point where the ancillary story that Dominic and uh, Letty have in fact been married and she has forgotten this because if you remember, folks, she was dead for a while and then she came back. Having lost her memory. Was still sold as a dramatic thread for this in a script that was clearly written prior to Paul, Paul Walker's death. But those three, that trilogy, that is when it was flying highest and frankly should have stopped, have stopped there. there. Could not agree more. Now, I don't want to come off like the people who moan and bitch about uh, Marvel producing quite so many movies all the time because obviously it's a money-making machine. But the, in the same principle, when you do too much of a good thing, eventually the product starts to suffer. It's a too many cooks scenario. You'd think that that would improve the broth, but it doesn't. It has a detrimental effect. Eight plummeted in quality. Eight, I still think, is actually my least favourite. Agreed. Eight, eight, I will never forget, frankly. Why? Because they killed Elena. Elena. <sighs> Elena does come back in, in a... No, doesn't come back, but she does get mentioned in this film. Uh, like, she's she's dead. We saw her get shot in the head. That was a kind of a fridging move. And I'm going to use the word fridging lightly here. Because ever since the otherwise absolutely fantastic, overly sarcastic productions labelled uh, Natasha's death in Endgame as a fridging, I've been slightly worried about the way people... like Because even in that episode, they were defining what a fridging was. Mm -hmm. It is usually just to make somebody feel bad, if it's a dude, to make them want to seek revenge. Mm. But now, more often, you get a, a sense of wanting to be inspired by that person who is now gone, which is not a fridging. No. That is someone having a genuine impact and their death being an actual tragedy that is felt by lots of people. That is life. When people die... 
a lot of people feel it. To me, the, the, one of the, the core elements of the definition is this needs to be a character that we know virtually nothing about, yeah. that they were introduced purely for the purpose of this action. If it's a character that we've already got to know over multiple stories, mm. then that, to me, takes it beyond that, that simplified definition. What I would say in terms of uh, Elena's death is I don't see it as a fridging. I do see it as a complete rejection of the concept of adult relationships and co-parenting. It felt like Letty is now fully back. we got to get rid of the ex-wife. I, I think it was more drama-motivated so that they could give some tragedy to Dominic. And also the idea of adopting a child that isn't your own. And that helped Letty to grow as a character too. So it's a, it, that's a messy scenario. I Honestly, that is not, to me, the worst part of eight. It's the meta side of it where, if you remember the whole... since We don't talk anymore. <sighs> since the first film, it's been all about family. And, you know, you don't let go of family. You don't let family down. And no family gets left behind. But in the background, you've got Dwayne and Vin storming off to their respective trailers going... Michelle, would you please tell Dwayne that I'll be out at five? Rod, are you okay? I need to go to my quiet place. And then Vin goes to that spot in the woods where he likes to punch dance away all of his frustrations. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the fact that... The fact that an entire spin-off happened as a result of their tiff... And it seemed, until now, that Dwayne was not allowed back into the treehouse. Just felt so bitter. And, and, like, you cannot sit there and blithely... But what's real is family. Jab on the whole family button while you can't get along with your brother. Vanessa, could you tell Jason to pass the salt, please? You're not, not talking to me, Dwayne. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so... Yeah, that that irritated me. But also, Eight is a morose film that has a weird tone problem. And we're going to reveal that she had Dom's baby. So that means when she was thrown out of a window in the last movie, she was pregnant? Yeah, I guess so. And that didn't affect the pregnancy in any way. Not one bit. Huh, what a strong female character. So she's going to die. Oh my god. I do think that ties in with what I said I don't like about it. Because while I take your point about them bringing in some tragedy for Dominic... Ultimately, they also try to bring back the superficial appeal of some of the earlier movies. They really lean on the uh, the shaken-ass thongs. And to have those two things together is That's what I mean weird. about the tone problem. So you've got Vin looking sad and, and like, you know, wrecked. And he's like, oh, no, my baby. Uh, she is now without a mother. And I was not able to stop uh, this. My, my The girl that I really, really cared about being killed behind this glass. And then, boom, ba down, boom, boom. Oh, check out these butts, girls. Like, make up your mind, guys. Do a film where you start off with the shaking butts and then it graduates to the much darker and more serious. You can't slalom back and forth. Fast and Furious says, maybe you can. <laughs> but also, uh, Eight does something which keeps coming back to bite the Fast and Furious series in the ass. And that is not actually realised until now, because the person who killed Elena was Cypher. 
And if you remember, Cypher came back, that's Charlize Theron, came back in nine with their haircut of Gareth Keenan from The Office, looking like a Fisher Price man, and was kind of the Hannibal Lecter hacker just behind plate glass while some guy, I can't even remember his name or his character, he was just some irritating blonde dude. Nine is really bad too. Like, nine was like, oh. I can understand that COVID would have interrupted this, but it's way down the bottom. But then in this one, Charlize Theron turns up at Dominic's house late at night, bleeding and staggers out of a DeLorean that's labelled DeLorean with glowing lights at the front that say DeLorean. It's like a brand new DeLorean. And it's like, low profile. Do you understand the meaning of the words? Low profile. <laughs> And it turns out that she's Dominic's daughter from the future. No. She sort of turns up and goes, I've got to talk to you about this really, really bad villain. And Dominic's like, you killed Elena! And by the end of this film, they've rehabilitated Cypher into an annoying, snarky Mortimer villain. And it's like, she did actually kill Elena. Like, she, like this is unforgivable shit. And that reminds me of Deckard Shaw, who killed Han. And we're like, but we're just going to be fine with this? Tried to kill Brian, tried to kill Mia? And then... <laughs> What? Deckard Shaw turns up and is like, Oi, now I'm a co-star. Because I've got so much to, personality. But he wants to eat him. And, and everybody's okay, okay with this. <laughs> and so there was that whole Justice for Han thing. And so Han turns up at Deckard's uh, place at the end of Fast 9, if you remember. And Deckard was sort of beating up a dude in a bag. That's actually a scene in this film. Because they're like, there's probably more to this. Because Han has no beef with Deckard. And frankly, Deckard shouldn't have any beef with Han. The reason they end up actually getting into a fight is because Deckard yanks him into the uh, flat and spills Han's snacks. You made me spill my snacks. And then he starts trying to punch him in a kind of, you're a dead man. Only dead men come to back to get revenge. And it's like, we are squeezing this to have a fight here. And by the end of this scene... Just give him another bag of sunflower seeds. He'll be fine. And by the end of this scene, they're chums. Deckard grabs all the guns on the shelf and goes, right, I'm going to drive out of the movie now. And he does. And it's like, I thought he was in this. He's not in this. That's that's a cameo. See what I mean about not being able to keep track of all these stars yeah. and all these characters? Yeah. Right. You must have these inter incidental scenes to show why everybody is friends now. <laughs> Justice for Elena. Elena's sister turns up in this. Uh, she seems to be just sort of another girl driver that Vin knows when he goes to one of those swap meet car racing things. And swap meet Louis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he saves her life. And they talk about Elena. And she uh, she was like, I I I felt like um, the wrong sister was killed, and I I should have been the one. And I'm like that. That's a a, a dark character. And um, she will hopefully be back later in, in other movies. She manages to make it out of the end of this one without both sisters becoming a matching set like in Goldfinger. But, like, they look at Elena's picture on a wall in Elena's house. They, By the way, they bounce back and forth between Rio de Janeiro and Portugal and L.A. And eventually I was like, can I have one of those... I know you keep throwing up the big, like, lettered, like, this is where we are now, Madrid. Uh, but can I have one for now? Because I actually don't remember where we are. <laughs> It's just this action sequence, and it's always in a lovely, sunny place that's very picturesque. This one's directed by Lou Leterrier. Yeah, director of The Transporter. And I'm like, you have every opportunity to have... Put The Transporter in canon with the Fast and Furious movies? Yes, please! So Deckard's like, I've got to call my brother. Or, that was me all along. Yeah, 
I'd, I'd go with the latter. Mm, yeah. And then also tie it in with collateral because he delivers Tom Cruise's briefcase at the airport. I like crossovers. Well, you know, what can I like? But I like crossovers that are like, oh, that's neat, but let's move on as opposed to, like, let's make this whole film about a multiverse. Is it actually about a multiverse? No. So, for example, when Michael Keaton's Ray Nicolette from Jackie Brown from the novel Rum Punch, written by Elmore Leonard, turns up in Out of Sight, also written by Elmore Leonard. One's directed by Tarantino, the other's directed by Steven Soderbergh, but it's the same world. That I fucking love. It's just one scene. Dennis Farina's there with a wry smile. So yeah, uh, you would think that uh, Lula Terrier would, you know, being an old hand at this, who started uh, doing better directed films than most of the Fast and Furiouses until Justin Lin came along, uh, would be able to absolutely ace this one. And there are some great moments of direction. There are some great shots. There are some great vistas. There are some horrendous edits and it feels like it's very specifically the fight scenes. It's that age-old problem that... Actually, age-old. Very 2000s problem of let's try to make Liam Neeson look like he's a good fighter by cutting really quickly. The Quantum of Solace issue. But the other issue I had with Quantum of Solace was the camera's over here. Now it's over here. Now it's over here. Now it's over here. So you get no understanding of spatial conditions. Oftentimes you don't even really know what shape the room is. And at one point, you don't even know who's fighting who because Cypher and Letty have a fight in a darkened room and they're both wearing white. The same white prison jumpsuits. And I'm like, I, I just, I don't even, like, at this point, if you can't see who's winning and who's, like, who got a, a hit in and who didn't get a hit in, all you may as well just hold up a card that says, fight, and then just jiggle it. Just a, a um, they fight. cloud with little motion yeah. blurs and off the side. And it's possibly because I've been re-editing the John Wick films to make the sequels the same length and pace as the original. I've been focusing a lot on really well shot, long take fight scenes with super professional stunt people who are able to pull off these amazing moves. And Fast and Furious X wants to have its cake and eat it on that. You've got characters like Letty, like cracking a gun the way John Wick would. And like they're doing John Wick style moves, but they're doing them with really, really quick, quick, quick cuts. And to that end, you're actually not getting what you're trying for. That's a shame. Right, back to Jason Momoa. Fast Five. He's the son of the guy they pinched the money from. And they made him look very much like Cal Drogo because they go, 10 years ago. I don't even know how that fits in with uh, uh, Fast and Furious chronology or what year it actually is in Fast X. But uh, what that means is he was there and actually on the bridge when his father was killed and Dom was like using the... the uh, safe as a wrecking ball and like trashing a loads of cars and this truly impressive lot of um, very practical looking stunts. There was a, a practicality to Seven as well. I remember in 2015 when Fury Road came out uh, along uh, at the same time as this and one other movie that ha had similar fantastic auto stunts. I would not want to be making an auto stunt movie in 2016 to have to follow these. That's been replaced with a lot of explosions in this that it's like, well, they're definitely not trashing real cars because those would be real people. And that's definitely digital. That's digital. They've added so much scale and epicness that it doesn't feel real at all. There was something grounded about five, 
which became more superhero oriented with six and then but stayed practical for seven and then went completely off the rails with that fucking submarine bit in eight and it seemed like they were taking a leaf out of Marvel's book and going, let's just keep upping the ante. But eventually, when you, when you keep upping the ante, it's going to become just a series of spectacle events that just kind of blend into each other eventually. Because you're like, none of this is real. That's a contractual obligation. Those two aren't, uh, aren't anywhere near each other. And that sucks. Especially because there's another really specific reason why tension is drained away in this film in particular. I'll get to that at the end. Jason Momoa as Cal Drogo is like Sonny Boy. You know, just good, young boy who's loyal to his father and he's grim. And probably how the original character was written in the script when they handed it to Jason Momoa. Like, you are a man who is out for revenge. You've been plotting it for 10 years. You've been studying these people. Feels like you probably could have uh, uh, poked your head out maybe five years ago, but just, just say he's been biding his time, shall we? Momoa said, I'm going to guess, much like Johnny Depp playing Jack Sparrow, what if I play him like a really wild, crazy guy that you would meet on a wild, crazy night out? And he plays Dante fabulous like he's metrosexual uh if you can remember that particular phraseology was yes. around about the time the original triple x came out and people were pointing at vin diesel wearing that big furry coat and saying now that's metrosexual so he's got bunches at some points he's got rings he's got a you know silken shirts at one point he's painting the nails of a guy and he's like you gotta make sure you let that dry and then you cut to the guy and the guy's sort of like lying on the seat with his mouth taped back into a rictus grin and he's dead and I'm like okay so this is Joker well Hayes guess it's time to call it a night what do you say hon feeling the old electricity tonight <laughs> uh, but I also got uh, Stansfield from Leon you're a Mozart fan I love him too I love Mozart. It was austere, you know. But for this kind of work, he's a little bit light. So I tend to go for the heavier guys. Chaotic, uh, evil, crazy. I also got Castor Troy in there. Chaotic, evil, crazy. I could eat a peach for hours. I never really enjoy the Messiah. In fact, I think it's fucking boring. But your voice makes even a hack like Handel seem like a genius. You know, all of these characters are like a, a flesh-crawling, awful people you wouldn't want anywhere near you. They are violators of our personal space. They try to mess with our minds. They are evil in a way that's very watchable. But my God, you don't want to get to know these people. Now, Jason Momoa is playing a dedicated son who has devoted his the past 10 years of his life, to not just killing the Toretto, but causing... He wants to be the author of all his pain. Momoa took this stock archetypal, smug-ass, you know, miserable, crappy character archetype and went, I'm going to make it crazy. They even tried to explain it away with an in-world argument that says he got hit in the head when he fell off the bridge and then just spent 10 years chilling. The problem is... Those two, those two things don't, don't go together. No. You can't make someone who is totally methodical, a man of determination and, you know, will, will wait and bide his time. Also, wild and crazy guy. Yeah, but apart from anything else, if he's inherited his father's 
criminal empire, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming that to some degree he has, yeah. then he's going to be surrounded by henchmen terrified of what he's going to do next because he's about to throw the whole thing off a cliff. Funny you should mention that. Uh, when he goes to steal a big hard drive from Cypher, uh, Cypher's dudes all it's point all, about the hard all point their guns at... It's That's got all of the uh, footage from Food Fight on it. Uh, they all point their guns at Jason Momoa's Dante and he's like, whoop! Hold on a second, guys. I think you might have a call. And then all of them, their phones start ringing, and then they look, and it's their children have had their mouths taped up, and they've got guns to their heads. And it's like, and it's like, all of them, every single one of you, got all your kids except for, and then he kills a guy with a knife, except for that guy, poor sad bastard, not even a cat. And so now all of those henchmen are his henchmen, because he had other henchmen hench for him to hench with the henching. Don't make me tell you again about the henching. <laughs> He's trying to hench his bets. Anyway. <laughs> and then uh, Cypher, he goes, you know, just kill her. And then he leaves the room and Cypher smugly presses a button that deactivates all of their machine guns. And they're like, what? The machine gun is not working somehow. And she's like, haha, I've deactivated all your machine guns. And I'm like, Cypher, you're standing in a room with 12 armored guys and you're halfway up a skyscraper at this point. What is your escape plan? Is it to smugly crow at them that you have complete control of their weaponry? They'll just kill you. Well, yeah, they punch or knife. Or yeah, but something. then she gets into one of those super fast edit fights where you can't actually see her face at all because it's so blurry and you keep changing angles and uh, she she gets beaten up a lot. And it's like, probably should have jumped out the window with your escape clause parachute something or other at this point. Either way, that raises questions because there's a lot of henchmen working for Dante in this. And I'm like, does he have all their kids? And have does he have all their kids in a warehouse where only a few henchmen have got those kids? Or does he have loads of kids scattered around the globe, each one requiring at least one to three henchmen to do this for him, all of whom would probably have been better here? Yeah. Unless they've got each other's kids. And I'm thinking about this while cars are exploding. <laughs> and then uh, John Cena, who's now become the Funkle. He is Funkle Jacob with little B. He's brought out his cannon car. And it's a big black Cadillac looking thing with two homemade IED <laughs> shell launchers attached to the side. And it's black, and they're being chased by black sedans. And later in this particular very visually confusing car chase, Dom drops out of a plane in his famous uh, Dodge. And I'm like, oh, that's just what we need, Dom. A fourth car that's black! The kid fires shells out and blows dudes up and goes, whoa, holy shit! And Funk called uh, Jacob's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Swearing is for, for music lyrics, and if you stub your toe, and okay, under these circumstances, yes, you're allowed to swear. And I'm like, did that... Did that kid just murder a man whose child is being held at gunpoint right now? Or, or, or ten men? Because that's, that's uncomfortable. Like Those are now orphans who will probably be murdered. And so that means that the kid's a killer. And we're making this a great fun moment. But the kid's murdered five or six guys now. And like, ooh, big explosion. But they do attempt to explain this away with, oh, a bunch of mercenaries are after us. I mean, these were bad men. They were definitely coming for them. But the kid is a, a, a murderer. And the Toretto family are really Catholic. Like, they're really Catholic. So the whole sin thing. He's going to have to say a lot of Hail Marys on that one. 
I honestly think that in terms of on-screen appearances in the Fast and Furious saga, that crucifix is neck and neck with Vin Diesel. So there's that that I'm dealing with. There's the fact that this wacky guy is being wacky, and I'm very aware of their tendency within this series to rehabilitate and face-turn their villains. Case in point, this particular scene is being headed up by the villain of the last picture. And we only just got out of a scene where the villain of the last last picture was just like, what, I'm off on the hunt. And then the villain of the last 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 picture. <laughs> you see what I mean? So they're gonna lean into suddenly this extremely entertaining, wildly chaotic evil man who's probably killed a lot of children. Mm. And yeah, uh, is now a good guy. I don't know how many times they can keep doing this. Yeah. And like, uh, okay. They can keep doing this. How many times can they keep doing this before I completely disengage with the, uh, the, the, the flow of tension because a person is bad and threatens your family, but it's okay because they're so charismatic that they'll be the good guy in the next film. I was going to say, it does always... we're, we're past that point now. I don't, yeah. I don't know how long they can keep doing it. It was around about the time when Deckard Shaw became the babysitter in yeah. uh, eight. Um, the Although I did like the fact that uh, Little Bee's like, I hate planes. And I'm like, ah, you hate but planes because of that traumatic experience <laughs> when you were very, very little. Yeah. Um, the Interesting Castor Troy link there, by the way. He had headphones on with fun music, just like the kid in Face Off. It always seems to be the incredibly charismatic villains that get the rehabilitation, although I would say they could really lean into this and have like a, a henchman rehabilitating... Um, Suicide Squad? Uh, no, no, no. Like, literally bring them in, talk to them about all the terrible things they've done, set them up with gainful employment, and, you know, get them out of the henching business. What they tend to do is is go, or retrospectively, they didn't actually do that terrible thing. Yeah. Which is really getting to have your cake and eat it, although it is a bit more like having the cake, vomiting and then eating it again. Gross. <laughs> But that's how you make nearly a billion dollars each time. Apparently so. Ugh. I will say about Vin Diesel, he's relatively low-key this time. You know how... Uh, in he's getting old. <laughs> he's playing a little more modest. You know how in uh, Fast 8, uh, he sort of turned up and his cousin was going to do a race. And he's like, no, 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 I'll do the race for you. And it'll be a car that's really, really cheap and old. But I'll do it because it's all about the person in the car. And because he's such a good driver, he, on fire, driving backwards, still wins. And it's like, that was the time for Dominic to lose. So that he starts to feel like maybe he can't win every single one of these. Mm -hmm. But instead, he's just this smirking, like, gets it every single time. Like an old version of James Bond, rather than what this now feels like, which is the uh, Skyfall version of James Bond, where like he's Dominic is is feeling that he's got way too much to lose. As his family grows bigger and bigger, he cares about more people, and every time a new psychotic, charismatic villain comes along, all of those people are in danger, and even in his house, they're not protected. So. While everyone keeps going, Dominic Toretto, the legend, he seems a bit like, yeah, 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 as opposed to just just drinking it in and smirking. And uh, there's a bit more kind of, he's looking weary now, but not in a way that makes the films feel tired so much as a way that actually humanizes Toretto for the first time in a while. Scott Eastwood is back in this again uh, for a blink and you'll miss it cameo. And I'm like, why is this guy here again? 
Also, why did people say this guy could play Wolverine? He's white and can wear a t-shirt and is conventionally handsome. That doesn't mean he can play Wolverine. What the fuck? He doesn't have the charisma of his father. And it's, 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 I'm, when he turns up, I'm like, st- we're still doing this? Like, I think he was in eight and then nine. I I'm, do not remember him being in nine at all. <sighs> you know what? I, would, I wouldn't put money on it, but that's the thing. That's his presence. We don't remember this guy doing anything. So stop putting him in your movies. He's not an element of this family. He lifts right out. Brie Larson, however, did seem to kind of start to engage. And she was, you know, talking with... with, In the few bits she's in, it felt like she was... You know, I I could be part of this family, Mark. (laughs) And because she has the blood of Kurt Russell, a man whom everybody agrees is cool, she gets in by blood default anyway. She's already family of the man you approve of. You know, if they'd just made Rey come out of Luke Skywalker's dick... We could have saved ourselves a lot of silly bother. Not literally, that would be hideous. (laughs) One of the things that has started affecting the Furious films, I think from... It started really with Six, when they were kind of taking uh, Luke Hobbs's... Oh no, actually, it started with Seven when they were sort of separating Luke Hobbs from the group to a degree, possibly because the stuff that hit boiling point in Eight was already starting there. Mm. And so he got taken out and put in hospital by Deckard Shaw. Oh, Luke Hobbs as in Dwayne Johnson's character. Sorry, I was thinking Luke Evans, who was the villain in Six. Six. Five was Reyes, the father of Dante. Four was Braga, three was Takashi, two was Carter Verona, one was Johnny Tran. It was neat seeing the uh, actor come back and he looked like he hadn't aged a day. But yeah, the, the issue now seems to have become, and this was definitely the case with nine as well, and eight, that you, they've started spreading these out. So you've got clusters of characters doing one thing over here and then clusters doing another thing over here. That's kind of Star Wars. And that should be fine, but these things are two hours and 20 minutes long and it, they're all very much the same in tone and there's a lot of exploding cars in them. And it feels like this was dubbed by some of the producers the Civil War of uh, the Fast and Furious films. And I'm like, no, that, that was eight. That's the one where Dom seems to go against the team and they're like, oh God, what are we going to do about Dom? He's gone and... He's out there and he's doing work for Cypher to protect his family. And so that felt like they were divided. Here they're not divided. There's a war going on and everyone's choosing sides. And But it's it's not people that we care about who are choosing the wrong side. There's no conflict of Tedge going, I'm sorry, I've got to go with Jason Momoa for reasons. <laughs> like when they're, when they're at this car swap meet. Swap meet one bunch of dudes standing behind Jason Momoa point guns at another bunch of dudes standing behind Dom Toretto. But these are like the fleets in the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie. You just move the fleets away because you know they're not going to be doing any of the actual mm. fighting. It's just these two flagships in the center who are going to get caught in a maelstrom. It's not really a war. It's just one guy who, like Batman, is super prepared for everything. But like the Joker is wild and chaotic. Like... When Heath Ledger was like, do I look like a guy who has a plan? There's a certain amount of improvisation of of what the Joker does. He didn't plan for Harvey to end up the way he was. He just took advantage of it. Yeah. Chaotic Evil, it's right there in the name. Chaotic Evil does not plan for ten years. 
You could make an argument that he's neutral evil or even true neutral. But, I mean, you know, holding guns to kids' heads, that's, that's, that's not neutral. And going, I don't really care how this ends up, I just, I'm happy to be here is chaotic. And obviously you need more than just the D&D alignment chart to map out your character, but it helps to have a good handle on them. Entertaining and well-written are not necessarily the same thing, and when you take a poorly written character and make them entertaining, you kind of rewrite the entire film, but only for one person. At least you do in the case where a story is predicated upon one proactive character, the villain, and everybody else being reactive. What we actually get here for Fast X is Letty's over here doing this, Dom's over here doing this, Ted and Roman are over here doing this. It doesn't feel massively coherent. So when Hobbs turned up at the end in the stinger, and it's like, whoa, Luke Hobbs is in The Fast and Furious again at last because uh, he, when he walks into a, um, a cinema, a dark and abandoned cinema in uh, SWAT gear and finds a, a mobile phone and, and Jason Momoa says to him, you know, yep, Dominic Toretto was there and totally crashed the car my dad was in, but you put the bullets in his head. I will find you. And Luke Hobbs like pulls off his mask and goes... I'm not hard to find, so come find me, you some bitch, and then crushes the uh, phone. And I'm like, yes, Luke's back. But then my immediate next thought was, a new phone. <laughs> Luke's back, and he will be in his own sub movie in Fast XX, mm. and he might even be allowed to meet some of Xander Cage's friends in Fast Triple X, but not Xander Cage himself, because they probably either like. They, they aren't going to hug it out. And if they do, I'll be like, is this green screen? Are they hugging stunt doubles? <laughs> it's depressing. But um, it does mean that we can I can add a little addendum to the end of our show on Black Adam and Shazam, which is that these things can get patched up to a degree. You add enough zeros to it. Yeah. And if your dreams of DC superstardom kind of fall through. This one... Felt like a Bond movie. I already mentioned that he's sort of starting to feel like uh, Daniel Craig Bond. The actual finale was like a Bond movie intro, but with a lot of exploding cars. It's not the first in a, a Fast and Furious. There was uh, that uh, Prodigy one, uh, the You'll Be Under My Wheels. Uh, at the end of uh, Tokyo Drift, where it's sort of like zooming around the place. No? My brain started rattling through Bond themes and actually fell on Snake Eater. Brilliant. <laughs> that is not a Bond theme. It is a Bond style theme. Someday you go through the rain And someday you feed on a tree frog so They've kind of lapsed into the Roger Moore Bonds of, like, we'll just deliver you the same thing every time. It's just that that same thing every time is kind of the drama of Fast and Furious, which became the ongoing drama with uh, repeating characters of the Daniel Craig Bonds. They even say at one point, there's no such thing as spies anymore. It's not just one guy behind a car. We've got all kinds of new technology that we don't even need drivers for cars. So Dominic is this bastion for old-school gas-guzzling muscle cars. It's like the enemies are heel wrestlers turning up and going, We don't like wrestling or cars! And the audience is going, Boo! Because we are the notorious order of wrestling haters. 
That's right. Um, we want to stop all wrestling everywhere. Are you going to let us destroy all wrestling? You gotta say wrestling. Come on. Tiger, Puma, Tiger, Puma, Tiger. We'll stop you. What a stunning turnaround. But there was uh, at one point, uh, there's also an ancillary villain who you think is a villain, but then he pretends to be a good guy and you're like, you're not fooling me, dude. You are another white, blank-faced slab of a man who nobody particularly needs, so you're probably the villain we thought you were to begin with, and uh, even though we'll probably rehabilitate Dante, you can get blown up at some stage. And I was like, was he one of those guys who was brought in to introduce some young blood who could do more stunts in Triple X 3 The Return of Xander Cage, the one which had John, Donnie Yen and Ruby Rose in it, both of whom went on to fight John Wick. Or is he the guy that they brought in so that some young blood could do the stunts in Bad Boys for Life, the third Bad Boys film? And then I realized that no, he's neither of those guys, but the guy who was in Bad Boys for Life was in Hunger Games, and so was this guy. So they have a type. That was all very confusing. <laughs> there is a pool of big white dudes that Hollywood's like, don't call us, we'll call you. When we need some muscle, we'll call you. Kellen Lutz is in this. Do you know who Kellen Lutz is? Vaguely. He was Hercules, the same year as The Rock was Hercules. That was another one of those, oh, they're doing a Hercules film. Didn't we get a, offered a Hercules script a while back? Was that this one? No, that was a different one. Greenlight the Hercules script. Get me the equivalent in superstar power of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, one of the mute boyfriends in Twilight? Perfect. But now let me get to the meat of it, because the, the premise of this is that uh, Dante wants to hurt Dominic and make him suffer before he dies by killing his family. And he does it in big, ostentatious ways rather than quiet, nasty, like just, we sniped this person from a distance and they're dead. There was nothing you could do about it. He likes to blow people up. It felt a bit like anyone could die at this point. I'm like, could anyone die though? Because it feels like- We know Dominic Toretto is not gonna die. We know Dominic Toretto is not gonna die. They're not gonna kill Letty again. They can't kill Brian. And in fact, there were times when uh, Jordana Brewster, Mia, was running around the place uh, with little B, and I'm like, where's Brian? Has anyone meant, is he off on a, in a conference or something? Like, this is Brian's house. Brian, buddy, where you been? They fortunately did not go the whole hog of, of bringing in one of Paul Walker's brothers and do the whole digital makeup thing, although I do believe in one out-of-focus shot in the flashback to Fast Five, they did need to use a body double for that. But again, it, it, they, they were occasionally cutting to uh, Brian in the car and it, it felt like he was kind of there again because he was at the time. It was well handled. That could have been crass. So they might kill Mia, but it feels like the person who would be the most upset if Mia dies is Brian, who we don't get to see. Obviously, Dom would also be really, really upset if, if he lost his sister. But... So I was like striking off like, so so who can they really kill and make it feel like it's gonna last? And then I started to realize how many people have died and come back. Letty died and came back. Han died and came back. And in some cases it's, we keep losing people in real life and we've killed the wrong characters who could absolutely have come back, but now they can't because we killed them. The, the I faked my death and have been fake dead for all these years thing. It's the I was being mind controlled of the fast saga. 
It is a etch-a-sketching kind of soap opera deal. It is when it becomes convenient for us to reintroduce this character because we want a big, oh, moment, then we'll do that. At the end of this movie, John Cena, who's been Uncle Jacob for all this time, realizes that Dom is going to be killed and so will his uh, nephew. And so he takes that giant cannon car and turns the cannons downwards so that he can bounce the whole car, just just, just go with it, catapult the whole car into this load of CGI cars and they can all explode. And like they do it in slow motion and have John Cena closing his eyes and like they linger on that crucifix and you know, just to show how family he is. And he gets to, to talk to Dom before he does it. And it's like, you only just brought him in. Or did you get your WWE wrestler boy back and then you decided you didn't need him? Oh! Or did you just want to hurt Dom in a way that would be really personal, but with someone who lifts out of the series? Also possible. John Cena, to his credit, is having a whale of a time being Funkle throughout this, to the point where he has no relation to the guy in the car who glared at Dominic in that ninth film. Or, that tenth or film. is it that they sat down and did contract negotiations with John Cena and he went, you know what, I'm done. I've, I've, After two? Yeah, I've had enough. I'm going to do something know. else. But then afterwards, that slab of nut, that, that Kellen looks looking got guy. Re, uh, renewed front of the series, I'm gone. Maybe, I don't know. But here's the thing I, I watched that and was like, oh, I like Jacob. But I couldn't feel it and it bothered the hell out of me. And then at the end, Tedge and Roman and Ramsey, the, you know, the, the hacker trio who have always got that kind of threesome nervous energy bit going, and it's like, would you people fuck already? They've been on their wild goose chase the whole film, not ever really accomplishing anything much. Roman wants to be a leader. And there was the perfect time to actually kill Roman and to, to, to let them die and go down in a blaze of glory in space and be a truly, like, memorable, this was batshit crazy. As a way of letting, laying two characters that we've enjoyed for years to rest, this is how you do it. But they're flying in their plane over Dominic on the dam, and then that big chunky white dude turns up with a rocket launcher, blows up the plane, which then crashes into a mountain. And my brain went, but I didn't see them get killed they're not dead. Like, this is just to hurt Dom, so I don't really feel like they're actually dead. Is Jacob dead? Is Jacob gonna come back? And I realized how they've... They have killed They've killed death. death. They've twisted the concept of death. And I will tell you how hard they've twisted it. At the very, very end, Cypher and Letty get out of their Arctic prison where they've been hanging around most of the film and the giant submarine pops up out of the ice and it's like, oh, you still got that thing, cool. And then it sort of pans down and there's a woman with binoculars. And I'm like, what, what, what the? And she takes them down and it's Giselle. No! And I went, huh? And started to well up. I was more affected emotionally by a character who was definitely dead being brought back because they realized they were running out of characters than characters I'd just seen actually apparently killed whom I don't believe are dead because they keep bringing them back. They keep rehabilitating the villains and then killing the rehabilitated villains who are now family. <sighs> or killing 
the dude who was the furious in Too Fast, Too Furious, and his mate, who was the guy with the afro comb. See, again, my brain's going, contract negotiations. They could not afford Wonder Woman dollars, but now DC have gone, well, that side of things is laid to rest. I'm thinking, maybe Gal Gadot's on the job market again. Honestly, that, in conjunction with the appearance of Luke Hobbs and Jason Momoa in this, made me think... It's like a mass exodus from the DC universe. <laughs> this universe isn't working. Get out of the Snyderverse quick. Come on, Wonder Woman, we've got to save you. <laughs> and then they pop into- We're all gonna jump ship. Where are we gonna go? Fast and Furious. We're Yay! gonna go to the universe that absolutely won't die. And if it does die, it'll just come back in the next one. Oh my God. So now Han's back from the dead and Giselle's back from the dead and they haven't met yet, but I can't wait to see that happen. And Fast and Furious 11 needs to just be that and those two in a hotel room. Yes, please. Tell me again that the days of the studio system are done and dusted. <sighs> it, it does make <laughs> stars feel like pieces on a chessboard. Yes. But then also the star system is in effect because the kings can throw a massive strop and get the other kings thrown out. Also true. So it's kind of the worst of the studio system and the worst of the star system. Just these fragile male egos and greed bubbling under the surface. And in the middle you've got fun, crazy bro Jason Momoa being totally wrong for a character that you like but is completely wrong for his own story. So, I think in the long run, this ranks above some of the worst entries of the Fast and Furious series, but all of them post-7 occupy an off-the-rails phase of, it is, a, it is a rumbling behemoth that is too big to kill, too lucrative to die, mm. and... Throw John Cena at it. And it's something whereby death means nothing. Mm. And if death means nothing... Tension also means nothing because there are many things you can do to people beyond just killing them. But the Fast and Furious movies don't tend to do that. They just tend to have people explode in a fireball, usually in a heroic way, dying to save their family. But if that doesn't have any effect, because we're like, okay, so are they in the next film because they aren't actually dead? Did I actually see them die? I don't even know how. If a, some, a character dies and you don't feel anything then you're killing characters for no good reason. Just keep them alive under those circumstances. Blow Tedge's arm off and have him have to deal with that. I know it sounds like horrible, but ultimately, Tedge, I've got to drive one-armed now, and I'm not sure I can, I'm going to need to be uh, driving automatics. Like, that's something that not I can't not believe that. However, we also live in a fucking... Some, a sci-fi somewhere between James Bond and fucking Star Wars now. There was like a laser bot robot surgeon thing that looked more advanced than the thing that gave birth to Luke Skywalker and, uh, and Leia. It's a, it's a sci-fi and Tedge would just get a bionic arm as soon as they need to patch up that problem. These are all, they're, they're problems that are written out of the problem stage of them with a really easy fix. Oh my God, Giselle gave her life to save everyone at the end of Furious 6. You cried. You cried for Giselle. You cried for Han. I joined you. And now it's like that almost doesn't matter because they're back. And yet at the same time, I missed them both a lot. 
but I can't feel worried about any of these people. And I feel like if someone actually does die in any kind of permanent way, it's not because it was narratively important in the story, it's only for meta reasons. It's only for contract negotiation reasons. It's for monetary reasons. It'd be like killing uh, Rhodey in Iron Man 2 because you just don't want to pay for Terence Howard rather than just recasting him. And that's it, that's, that's Fast X, roll on Fast XX, roll on triple, Fast Triple X, and that will not be the end. They're again, to say that that's the end, that is not the end. Like, at the absolute best, they will go away for a bit and then come back for a Lego sequel. And that's kind of fine, but I really would, like, in the center of this one, was a dramatic story about a man who can't protect a family that for every new person that his, his abuelita's in this, his grandma. And I'm like, whoa, grandma, did, his mum, his mummy didn't turn up for no reason here. His mummy's gonna get put in danger. And actually, uh, Queenie, uh, Helen Mirren turns up and is then put in danger. And I'm like, so that's why the bigger this family grows, the more he's got to lose. That's something. And I feel like it, it got swamped in digital flames. Also, the big sequence in, in Act 1 that they kind of enter in media res after the uh, intro, they're like, we've got to go and stop this bomb from exploding. It's bigger than most end sequences of most other movies that involve cars. I couldn't stop thinking of Adam West going, Someday she just can't get rid of a bomb. Because there's this bouncing baby bomb just going down the steps of the Vatican. With each film, with each chapter, we get to introduce another incredible talent. Jason Momoa. You all know him, but you will never, ever forget Dante Reyes. I'm Dante. Enchante. Three, two, one, action! I love motorcycles. Buongiorno, Roma! And I freaking love cars. Then I'm like, why wouldn't I want to be a part of a car chase movie and be in freaking Rome riding motorcycles? Momoa, I'm on a motorcycle in Rome? I mean, come on. You're about to learn all about fear. Boom! I hadn't played a villain in probably 10 years. I really wanted to bring something that hadn't been done yet, face off against Dom and his family. He'd just been done wrong in his mind. You had to be a certain psychotic. Like a peacock. I wanted my character to be like a peacock. Da, 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 da. A one and a two and a. Dante has learned from Dom. He knows everything about Dom. Collateral damage, chaos, death. I'm your legacy. It's strange to have an enemy who adores you. Stop talking and face me. The game's not over yet. He was so confident. I mean, he just came in with this like lace detailed open shirt that was like flowing and the hair and the body. I was like just so in awe staring at him. And then I like catch myself, I'm like, oh my God, I'm in the scene. I have to like act right now. Did you notice how hot Momoa is? Does anybody notice that or is that just me? You know, do my best. He's the thing people will remember from this film because that's what you need for each one. Someone who will add a different flavor. And that's m harder than ever when you are dealing with a rainbow sherbet that has a, it's like a Baskin Robbins every single flavor in one tub. And you've got to somehow give a distinct moment for each of these flavors. Mm. It's a juggling act and a half. And Lula Terrier is not one of the, he's not Justin Lin. He's not been doing this for years with this same team. So he did well considering. I don't know if the Fast and Furious will ever enter into a new heyday of 
really high quality movies. It's almost too big for that. One of the elements of it that I used to really like was the the heist yeah. planning. Like it, it was there was a period where they were very oceans movies. Yeah. And Five especially. You you need distinct characters for that. Mm. And, the and that they have a specific thing have, that they do, yeah. Exactly. But the more characters you have, the more they start to kind of blend into each other and it becomes they they are simply armor slots and you're just popping people in and out. Yeah. That's literally, in terms of character deaths, you're popping people in and out. You're going, right, I'm going to put you over here. And you died at the end of Fast 4, but we will bring you back in in Fast 6. And it feels like, again, the bringing back is always more emotional. And I think it's because when we saw Letty die in 4, it was really sad and down and it informed upon the whole film. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like I couldn't really buy it. See, I feel like the reason that Giselle's return would be so emotional for you is because it's not just that we saw her die. Mm. It's not just that we saw her die quite some time ago. Mm. It's that we've seen the impact that's had on Han Mm. in the intervening years. We've had those... And that was retroactively applied to Tokyo Drift to illustrate why he felt like he was adrift. But we've had those conversations where he said, look, this is how wrecked I felt. This is Mm. what I've had to try and rebuild. And now there's an element of, now we get to see how having that returned to him might impact on him. Yeah. School of Movies is brought to you by Patreon. About 138 bright, beautiful people who keep putting gas in our tanks and tuna fish in our sandwiches. And we like to think of all of them as our family. So the barbecue invitations get sent out to the $15 sponsors. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clawson, Joe Gluck, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasko, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas Haru, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. So let's take stock. Jesse died in one and stayed dead. Letty died in four, sat out five and came back in six. Han died in three and came back in nine. Paul Walker really did die in real life, but Brian is alive. Vince died in five and stayed dead. Giselle died in six and came back in 10. Elena died in eight and stayed dead, question mark. And the villains, Luke Hobbs was a villain in five and a friend between six and eight, but then left to do his own Fast and Furious. Owen Shaw was the villain in six and an ally in eight, and I still can't remember what actually happened to Luke Evans. Deckard Shaw was the villain in seven and a friend in eight. Cypher was the villain in eight and an ally in ten. Jacob was the villain in nine and family in ten. Chances of Dante being an ally by the end of the next film are, and I I work this one out mathematically, preposterously high. (laughs) My world has fallen. I'm falling to my knees 
I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And... But I won't back down. It's all about family. For my family, you can ransom me. Head it hard, it broke me to my knees. And on the phone, I'm driving fears like somebody out there after me. My girl got my heart only. My friends, they got my back, we chase money. We together when it's storm or sunny. They expect me for the back down, it's my destiny. And this might get the best of me. I can't let you get ahead of us. I'ma have to escort you to a seat. Through it all, we can't fail, cause the plan is for the achieve. I'm just really needing some peace, hoping pain quickly leave. I admit I still falling, but for my family, rise up. Plan on completing every mission all before my time up. Inside this car, I get it done, just watch. My motor climb up, protecting all the ones I love. Can't let this evil blind has fallen. I'm falling to my knees. Whoa.